0: Start out this uh, 383rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke. With you, I wanna I wanna start by saying, I respect Mr. Bob Cousy as one of the greatest basketball players and one of the greatest point guards ever in the game of basketball. One of the greatest winners of all time. He was the little engine that could with Bill Russell and Tommy Heinsohn and Casey Jones and Satch Sanders and all those other great. Boston Celtics teams of the 50s and 60s under the leadership of Red Auerbach and then obviously at the end under the coach and player arrangement with the great center Bill Russell. But Mr. Cousy is looking to be awarded next Thursday this upcoming week. He is being awarded with the Presidential Medal of Freedom next Thursday at the White House and again I want to say great player but I have a problem with athletes being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The Presidential Medal of Freedom, in my opinion, should be given to heroes. And I'm not talking about Superman and Batman and Robin and the rest of those make-believe ones. I'm talking about war heroes. I'm talking about people like Rosa Parks, who sat in that infamous bus in 1964 in Birmingham, Alabama, and wouldn't, or wherever the hell it was, but she wouldn't leave her seat. I think there's a hero, a presidential uh, medal of freedom winner should be a guy like the former Senator John McCain, who extended his stay at a POW camp. So people, United States military members who had been in this previous, or had been in this POW camp, McCain stayed longer, so these guys could be freed, and he extended his stay. That, to me, is a hero, not athletes. The world will survive and would have survived if the great Bob Cousy had never played basketball. I don't mean that as disrespect to Mr. Cousy. I'm just stating um, an opinion here that the Presidential Medal of Freedom should be given to people that are true heroes. Not Tiger Woods, because he come back. He came back last year after not winning a major championship since 2008. And Trump awards him the medal, the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom, after winning the Masters. Great accomplishment, no question. But does should he win and be awarded at the Rose Garden, uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, because he won a golf tournament? That is my huge problem. This award should be for true heroes who had something to do with freeing soldiers or people in real trouble, not guys that can shoot dribble or pass a basketball or hit a golf ball 350 yards. I have a huge problem with that. And um, I just think that, again, and I mean no disrespect to Bob Cousy. There's going to be a lot of Celtics fans that are thinking I'm mad at Bob Cousy. I'm not. I have acknowledged him as the greatest or one of the greatest point guards in the game of basketball and in the history of the NBA that goes back, I don't know how many years, till about 19, oh, I'd say 1940s at least. But this award should be given to heroes, not jocks.
1: Yeah, I can't argue with that. I Often Trump uh, does things that a lot of people are hard on and I can see what he's doing and I can make a reasonable case for it, but... I can't hear. I don't know if this is purely a Trump thing or this is part of just the way society is going. You know how like there'd be some old timers like my father-in-law at Christmas time just doesn't eat my Egyptian father-in-law doesn't even like to give or receive presents. It's like it's all about Jesus right like that's it and so for him this is all this like loosening of society basically of like oh everything's getting all relaxed and like I always say My one grandfather used to golf in a shirt and tie. Yeah. With a tie clip, right? Right. I mean, it's just, and you didn't go to the grocery store without being dressed up. Right. You didn't go in
0: flip-flops and shorts.
1: You didn't ride on an airplane unless you were dressed up, right? And so, and it's kind of, I think maybe to some degree that, like, it's easy to go hard on Trump here. And I think he uh, is in the wrong, I think, with some of these selections. I don't really get, yeah, Tiger Woods or anything. But I don't think this will be limited to him. I think no matter who the next president is someday in the U.S., I think they'll do similar things, to be honest with you. And I could be wrong about that, but that would be my guess. I think this is just the way society is going. I think that there is less and less emphasis on true heroes, and maybe it's harder and harder to find true heroes. We don't have world wars, hopefully, anymore. We have these other skirmishes, but they don't... Unfortunately, they don't uh, have the same reverence for the soldiers that something with the world on the line seems to and and that's not the soldiers fault that's just really unfortunate but i think that maybe the lack of real heroes plus maybe just the lack of understanding what a true hero is when people uh, idolize kim kardashian and all this and they just don't have role models or heroes or anything yeah it it's kind of losing uh, perspective on what a true hero is i mean the closest would would be someone's favorite athlete on their favorite sports team is, is a hero now and is expected to be a role model And all of that is extremely flawed. So, yeah, you can certainly hold Trump's feet to the fire here. But I don't think this is limited to him. I think this is the way it's going to be going forward for everyone.
0: I think our real heroes should be our parents. I think people that had a significant or played a significant part, a role in your life. I like Tiger Woods, but will Tiger Woods play? Has he played a significant role in in regard to the rearing of my life? Well, no, because not really, because he's 13 years younger than I am. But what I'm getting at here is that people that change the course of of a person's life in a good way, I think, should be more described as a hero. Again, um, Tiger Woods did not beg Donald Trump to give him the, and neither did Mr. Cousy. I get that. They're recipients of an award. I get that. But if Bob Cousy had played, let's say, for the Rochester Royals, which now, of course, is the Sacramento Kings, but if he had played at that time for the Rochester Royals instead of the Boston Celtics, he doesn't win nine championships or 11 championships or whatever it is. And does Bob Cousy then win the Presidential Medal of Freedom? No, absolutely not. His winning and being a leader on a winning franchise an iconic franchise, had something to do with him being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. But because Bob Cousy could dribble the basketball just unbelievably and pass, one of the greatest passers I've ever seen, and obviously it was all on old black and white, but some of the things that he did with the basketball today are still outstanding, and I don't think they would could be done. But it didn't make or break or didn't save somebody's life i guess that's kind of what i'm getting at bothers me um usa is in the news also for their basketball team one of the biggest stories as i welcome you in again to this 383rd episode of unscripted on saturday for the first time in nearly 13 years since the bronze medal game at the 2006 world championships a US international team made up of interna- excuse me made up of NBA players actually lost a game. They lost 98-94 to the Australians, a span of 78 consecutive international wins. Um now, I don't care how much better teams are getting from around the world. You've heard Greg Popovich talk about obviously the Australians and yeah, they were they were pretty good. Um The USA had an 11-point lead in this game with about nine minutes to go and lost. So maybe we should be more concerned with the USA pissing one away instead of the Australians coming back. But let's give some credit to the Australians. They had two games in Melbourne. They drew over 52,000 for both of those games. The Americans won the first game. The Australians take the second one, 98-94. These are all just warm-up games to the FIBA World Championship, which starts this upcoming week in China. But I don't care how many teams around the world, and you've heard again, I don't mean to sound repetitive, but Popovich has talked about Spain with the Casal brothers and and Ricky Rubio, and you've heard him talk about Australia. And there's a lot of improved teams because obviously the countries that are participating in this FIBA World Championship, their best players are finding their way, obviously, to the NBA. And I don't care how many teams are getting better around the world, and I could care even less How many USA players declined to participate this year in the FIBA World Championships as they prepare for their next season of NBA basketball? I don't care about that. I believe the USA still shouldn't lose to anybody. There are, I use the example of hockey, in international hockey. USA thinks they've got a good team every year and they're getting better every year. They they do very well. You see around uh, Christmas time when they have the, the junior tournament, the USA has been dominating that for the last couple of years and they always seem to do well in the world championships. But when you get to the Olympics and the big time, it's always the Canadians. It's always the Canadians in hockey and they're expected to do that. And you know, it's funny up here, they take shit from the reporter's and the newscasters when they lose a game in international competition, well, it happens. But ultimately, the Canadians still won 2002 in Salt Lake City. They still won 2010 in, in or 2006, wherever the hell that was. Twenty ten Vancouver. Twenty ten Vancouver, and and they still win. The Canadians in in hockey are should what the Americans should be in basketball. I don't care if Anthony Davis is not part of Team USA this year. I don't give a damn about all that. What I do give a damn about is that when we put 15 guys out there with USA on their jerseys, they should still be good enough to win an international competition. I truly believe that. And I still believe to this day that the USA got fucked in the 1972 Olympics in Munich by the Russians. And I know that there were some lean years there and we had some losing going on. But we finally got it back on track. Krzyzewski led 78 consecutive wins, and they play the second game under Greg Popovich, and they lose. That should not happen, in my opinion.
1: Well, I think we might be transitioning to a different era where it's not as much that the Americans should win all the time as NBA players should win all the time, I think is the bigger key here. Good point. And I don't know if you'll be that surprised or that sad if Giannis takes Greece really far in this tournament yeah that's true right I mean he's as Giannis is as good or better than everyone else in the NBA he is the NBA MVP there you go so when you've got the NBA MVP on one team I don't know what the rest of Greece is like right now for their team but if they are decent if they've got a couple of good shooters which a lot of those European countries have some really good shooters if if you've got that with the NBA MVP up front and you've got your leftover third and fourth stringers from what would be the number one NBA All-Star team, I don't know. I I wouldn't count Giannis out in that situation. So I think it's as long as the guys are in the NBA. Now, In this case, though, I don't know if any of the Australians were in the NBA. Probably not. I don't think... Uh, Oh, yeah. Joe
0: Inglis um, is on the Australian team. He plays for the Utah Jazz. Patty Mills is on the Australian team. He plays for Popovich in San Antonio. Oh, that's funny. The center for the Australian team. Andrew Bogut just finished the year with the uh, mm. Golden State okay. Warriors. Okay. He turn. was the 2005 overall number one pick of the Milwaukee Bucks. So Andrew Bogut has been in the NBA for quite a while. So there is some NBA... Uh, uh, Matthew Della Vadova uh, was on the Australian team. He's he's won a, a championship with with LeBron in Cleveland back in 16. So there is, or are, NBA Caliber quality players on the Australian team. But here's the thing. Whereas Australia has maybe four NBA players, the United States still has 15. Mm -hmm. There are no college guys on the USA team. There are no guys from the European league or the Spanish league or whatever. They are 15 NBA guys. They aren't. Obviously, they aren't uh, LeBron, and they aren't Kawhi, and they aren't this, that, and the other thing, but they are 15 contract carrying members of the NBA, and their 15 should still be able to take care of business in an international competition.
1: Yeah, I can see how you'd feel that way, but I, I just think that with uh, NBA talent, if the USA isn't sending their best... And the other countries are getting NBA talent and are sending their best of their NBA talent. I think you're going to see this more and more, unless it unless we go back to the Dream Team days. Unless like literally all the best guys from the states are playing. I mean, if LeBron and whoever else, everyone, all the top guys that are American were playing, I still think they'd probably win pretty much oh. every game. Yeah. But so I mean, if you if I think part of it has to be how. How badly do these guys want to play for their country? And if they don't, then I guess that's a I guess that's a black mark. And here's on them. here's a,
0: here's another problem. Chris Middleton, Milwaukee Bucks. He just signed a one hundred and seventy-eight million dollar contract extension. Uh, extension, I should say. Excuse me. And in this loss, 98-94, guy signs a $178 million contract. A, he isn't in the starting lineup, and B, he only contributed like five points. What the fuck is that? It bothers me. I still think, though, even if it's not the LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know them all, they should still... Not lose an international competition. My feeling. I mean, once Spain can find fifteen players that are NBA quality on their roster, then we can probably have a conversation. Same with Australia. Same with everybody else in the in the in the tournament. But uh, I just uh, this isn't sour grapes. I don't. You know, big deal. It's FIBA. I mean, I'd even be a little bit more worked up if it was the Olympics. But then if it was the Olympics, I think you'd have more participation, i.e. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, yada, yada. A lot of things to talk about. Um, We have not, and it hasn't been from a lack of trying. Fact of the matter is, National Hockey League has kind of gone underground. There hadn't been a lot going on. So I searched and searched because I want to talk a little National Hockey League hockey because... Think about it, folks. It's got to be about, what, two weeks, and they're in training camp. Middle of middle of September. They've got to be pretty damn close. So I found some hockey news. I want to talk about some. We talked about uh, Buffalo. I have talked about Buffalo, and I think Buffalo made a huge mistake in letting um, their coach Phil Phil Housley. Thank you. Phil Housley. American. (laughs) Not from Wisconsin, though, so I don't go crazy. Uh, But I think, and I made the proclamation, and I heard it the other day on one of our episodes, that I made the proclamation that the next job that Phil Housley takes as an NHL head coach, he will be the Jack Adams Award winner. And I stand by that. I think he's a good coach. I think the Pagoulias are screwing up the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. Rasmus Dahlin, I think I got that right. Rasmus Dahlin, the 19-year-old phenom of the Buffalo Sabres, says that his team is going to be, and I quote, a winning team and be in the playoffs, end quote. The last time the Sabres were in the playoffs was 2011, the longest current playoff drought in the National Hockey League. And at that time in 2011, Dahlin was the grand old age of 11. Um, I don't think... The Balt, the uh, Buffalo Sabers, see the playoffs in 2020 again. There's going to be a transition period. After you've been listening to the word of Housley for two years, now you bring in—I don't even know who their coach is. It doesn't matter. You probably know. Well,
1: I do, and this—this this is why I would actually not dismiss this. It's Ralph Kruger.
0: Oh yeah, the guy from the, from, from from Edmonton. Coach Edmonton right. for
1: a bit has been working on. So- he's so versatile. He's been working. That's right. okay. For soccer in the Europe right. in Europe there. And uh, he is a miracle worker. He made Neil Yakupov the leading goal scorer on the Oilers yeah. in the shortened season And Neil in Yakupov
0: can't find a job anywhere now.
1: No, I think he's playing in the KHL now, but yeah. I mean, like in Russia, but...
0: Is that the kindergarten hockey? Yeah, game?
1: <laughs> that's funny, actually. Thank you. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Ralph Kruger is a genius. Uh, Craig McTavish famously fired him over Skype yeah. in a five-minute <laughs> Skype call. And uh, yeah, I, I don't want to... I don't want to play the Buffalo Sabres if I'm the Oilers this year because Ralph Kruger is going to turn into Bill Belichick and is going to have a plan. Or, or how about this? Remember, remember that uh, World Hockey Championship a couple years back where they had that weird Team Europe? Yeah. Like, con- basically, all the European countries that weren't that powerful yep. uh, banded together and made Team Europe. And Ralph Kruger was the coach, and he took them to the That's final, right. and it took Canada to beat them. And so I would never count out Ralph Krueger. Uh, Jack Eichel's a weirdo, but he's a talented hockey player. You've got Rasmus Dahlin. You've got Rasmus Ristelainen, unless they trade him. Uh, You've got some other good pieces there, decent goaltending. Uh, that could be a surprising team. Last year, even with Phil Housley, who I thought was very good, they had that amazing streak. What did they go like?
0: 17-6-4 to start the season.
1: And then after that, there was that stretch in the middle of the season where they had like one, like 10 in a row or something. And so, yeah, I mean, you have that kind of talent. You bring in uh, Ralph Kruger, who's just a genius as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't, just because of Ralph Kruger, I wouldn't count okay. out that and disregard that. State. And I,
0: and I, and I, yeah, I need to, uh, I forgot that Ralph Kruger was, was named the coach, but again, um, there's just have been so much negativity in Buffalo and, um, and I think it stems from the top. I really do. And this is a good sports town. We've mentioned it many times. I mean, how? Where else would even in Green Bay you wouldn't get? Well, you probably wouldn't Green Bay, but in Buffalo they get sixty, seventy thousand to watch a crappy team in the middle of a snowstorm blowing off Lake Erie to watch the Bills play football. And uh, the Bills have been, I think they're going to be better this year, but who the hell knows? I mean, really, Sean McDermott's got a heck of a job. He really does. But then working for those two idiots, um, very tough time sports-wise in Buffalo. If there is a uh, a fan base that needs some positivity, it's got to be the Buffalo fan base. Uh, they have been through thick and thin. They've watched a lot of bad Sabres hockey. They've watched even a lot of worse Buffalo Bills football. And uh, I was surprised by this kid making this proclamation, but then Chris just tuned me up in regard to Ralph Kruger, so I think there's a chance. But I still think, I still think, even with Chris giving me the right information, I still think it's going to be tough for the Buffalo Sabres. There's even with Ralph Kruger coming in, there's always a change. And if you're depending a lot of your frontline scoring on Jack Eichel,
1: that might be a problem.
0: Might be a problem.
1: Yeah. But I also, I mean, the problem with the Buffalo Sabres is they've never won a championship. They're just one of those teams. I know that's never done it like the Canucks. And they, it's not like they've never had any good looks or good errors. They made the playoffs a bunch of years in a row. Right. They had Ryan Miller in goal for a long time. They had Pat LaFontaine at center for a long time. Yep. They had the French Connection in the 70s, the mm-hmm. top line. Amazing. And 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 all of it led to nothing. Correct. And uh, Yeah, I mean, the Buffalo Sabres, you talk about a franchise that's overdue, and you would have thought would have done it at, at one point. I mean, the biggest ripoff was... Frankly, they deserved to win the cup in '99 with the famous Brett Hall scoring on Dominic Hashik foot in the crease thing right. that in tr- what triple overtime of Game Seven or whatever. So that was a ripoff. That should have been Hasek. Uh, not that the team, actually, other than Hasek, the team didn't deserve to win, but with Hasek it did, and so that was a real, real shame. But uh, yeah, that I can't believe they've never won a Stanley Cup.
0: Um, another example of wondering who is running the insane asylum that is called the. Ottawa Senators hockey club (laughs) these days. Um, We know Melnick isn't uh, Eugene Melnick isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. I think he went to the same ownership meetings as the Pagulias went to, which is the different one from when they were supposed to be going to. But new Senators coach D D J Smith says his team will not name a captain for the 2019 2020 season. He believes one will emerge in time d j How long have you been involved in the game of hockey to be an n h l coach even in ottawa you've obviously spent some times riding buses uh playing at seven o'clock or six a m on a Sunday morning you've put in your time if you're if you've elevated to the point of being a national hockey league coach and again even in ottawa but How many teams have you been associated with that started a season without somebody on your roster wearing the C? That is preposterous. That is stupid. I can't name, I'm sorry, I'm going to be totally honest with you, I can't name one guy on the Ottawa Senators roster. But there's got to be one guy on that 25-man roster that deserves to wear the C. There's got to be one guy. I don't know who it is, but I think that's disrespectful to the game of hockey it's disrespectful to the Ottawa senators organization and that's a mouthful in and of itself these days they're disrespecting themselves every day they open up the paper in ottawa but not to open the 2019 2020 season with a captain i think is really really someone someone needs to shake someone's head in ottawa and they need to find someone to award the letter c to put on their jersey
1: Well, a George Bush imitator famously once said that uh, he's not the brightest bulb in the knife drawer, and (laughs) that's how I would describe DJ Smith here, because when you're coming into a rudderless organization that's pure garbage and is going to finish last in the league, unless you're really committing to wanting to tank, which is pointless now that you have a 20% tops chance of winning the lottery, even finishing in last place, to making tanking in the NHL basically pointless, Mm. why would you miss your gimme right here why would you miss your easy chance to set the tone show some decisiveness and then really set a direction for the franchise i don't care even if you make it a guy who's kind of a goon like okay we're gonna be a tough team yeah. where people will beat us but they'll leave with bruises right whatever do something find like an a, identity yeah find an identity oh we're gonna be short and small and skill guys and fast so we're gonna get some little guy or something like Make a decision. I can't stand this. These guys get paid a ton of money, the coaches I'm talking about, and they're getting paid to make decisions. And here you are not making a decision. It's unbelievable. I can't stand it. This is such a cowardly move. Whenever I see it in sport, we're just not going to have a... Ca- this isn't communism. You're not Karl Marx. Like, this is unbelievable. We're all just hanging out like, yeah, yeah, hip, yeah everything's, everything's good, guys. No, it's not. Like, fuck off. This is sport. You should be out there kicking ass and you want a leader. And since you clearly can't make any decisions, DJ Smith, at least give the guys on the ice the luxury of having a leader there.
0: Also from the National Hockey League, kind of a surprise to me. I didn't know. I really didn't. I don't know. I mean, I know about this guy's career. Very decorated career. First with the New Jersey Devils. I believe later on in his career, Billy Guerin was in Edmonton for a while. Was he not in Dallas for a while, too? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. But a a celebrated I mean, I don't think he'll be in the Hockey Hall, but oh, very, a celebrated,
1: very solid, uh, really won a cup, scorer. I believe,
0: with with New Jersey.
1: Yeah, I think so. I and think so, uh, and, and tough to play against, like hard nosed, and yeah, like he was a very solid player.
0: Yeah, but it was still kind of a surprise to me because I didn't know that that uh, he was interested or had even applied for the job. But it was kind of a surprise to me. But what the hell do I know? Minnesota Wild have hired former Devils star Billy Garen as their new GM, and the first thing he says at his introdu- introductory press conference at the XL Center in St. Paul the other day is, we have a lot of work to do. Well, yeah, you do. You really do. Um, You've got some talent on the team. You spent for a lot of talent. You bring in Suter. You bring in a bunch of guys, uh, Zach Parisi. Uh, but I think they've underachieved in Minneapolis. And maybe that's one of the reasons that they're trying uh kicking the tires on a new general manager but i didn't know billy Guerin was looking to uh to be the to be a general manager i didn't know that but uh congratulations to him and from what you know and remember from his days especially in edmonton uh how do you think he's going to do as the general manager of the minnesota wild
1: i was taken by surprise just like you were i actually had to google a picture of him to see what he looked like now and i expected him to actually look fairly rough to be honest yeah. and, he, and he actually looked really good he actually looked like he really looked like he could go out and play yeah he looked really young and healthy and I was I was like that's Bill Guerin like I, I seem to remember him 20 25 years ago looking rougher than that so <laughs> I was really surprised at that but good for him tough player uh probably underrated honestly yeah had size he could score uh just a solid player I think he was a, a leader I think he had a really serious undertone to him so I, I guess that can lend itself well to this type of thing, but yeah, he's uh, he's got all sorts of great talent in Minnesota and Devin Dubnik
0: <laughs> and Devin Dubnik. <laughs> um, this comes from the files of No Shit Sherlock, um, Austin Matthews, the young wonderkin of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Someone asked him as he was coming back to town, as he prepares himself for the next season of National Hockey League. And someone asked him about what would he think about being named the next uh, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews says, "Leafs captaincy would be a huge honor." Would you like to expand? <laughs> would you like to expand that a little bit there, uh, Austin? I mean, you're not getting paid on a word on a on a word count here, buddy. Um, No shit, Sherlock, that would be, I mean, you would be the captain of one of the iconic original six uh, franchises in the National Hockey League, and uh, that would be a huge honor. Uh, I thought maybe he'd be, uh, maybe expand a little bit more on that, but uh, maybe he doesn't know what it means to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Should be interesting, but team hasn't won a, a Stanley Cup since 1967. Um, they get reported up here. Like they've won 19 of them since 1967. <laughs> the problem is they haven't qualified for the playoffs 19 times since 1967. Um, TSN up here, the, uh, the sports network in Calgary, TSN means the Toronto sports network. Um, I think, I mean, now that, uh, what's his face? Marlowe is gone. Um, Mitch Marner hasn't re-signed yet. I think, realistically, the guy to be the next captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, just by sheer attrition, I suppose, has got to be Aston Matthews.
1: I would say that, actually, John Tavares might be yeah, the better but choice. But here's
0: the thing. I don't disagree with you. I think that's a good choice. But the reason I didn't include him was simply that he was an Islander first and a Maple Leaf second. And this is only his second year, will be the start of his second year in Toronto. I do agree with you that Tavares is probably the better choice, having been a captain before, back with the Islanders. But this guy is born and bred, first overall draft pick a couple of years ago, the Maple Leafs. I think that there would be somebody at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment that would want a homegrown Maple Leaf to be the next guy that wears the C. That's just my feeling. I mean, Tavares is probably a good choice, but I think that Larry Tannenbaum and that idiot that looks like he's 17 years old and just got done using Oxy10 on his face, Kyle Dubas, he's probably thinking that same way. That we need a born and bred Maple Leaf to be the next captain of Canada's hockey team.
1: Well, putting aside for the fact (laughs) for a second that John Tavares is from the GTA and Austin Matthews is an American kid from Arizona, that's a good point. Putting that aside, on paper, I would agree with you. If this was any other situation where one guy's been there longer and was the first overall, pick and is the franchise guy and the other guy spent his a uh, bunch of years in another city and was just coming here later, I would totally agree with you. The one X factor, the one different variable here is that I don't think Austin Matthews gives a shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that you know what? You're probably right. That's yeah. that changes Good point. everything
1: for me. Good point. I don't think he cares about I don't even think he wants to play in Canada or or especially Toronto. I think Toronto's the last place He wanted to go being under the microscope there. I think he would have loved to have been in Arizona, not just because it's home, but just for the lack of media attention. I think he would have loved to play for the Florida Panthers. I think he'd just love to go somewhere like he just, he, and I'm not even sure if he loves hockey at all. He looks like one of those guys, and this is more common with Canadian kids, but I guess it can happen in Arizona too. He just seems like a guy who was just put in hockey at a young age. Like all the guys have to be to make the NHL. Now you have to have done this. Like, it's amazing what you have to do to the competition. But he just seems like he was just put in as a kid. It's all he knows. And his dad made him do it. And that's it. And he just doesn't really care. And I don't know if he has that. And if someone like Andrew Luck, who has, I think, all the passion in the world and loves the game truly and played it so well and played it with so much care and so much sportsmanship. And if he can have something, whether it's injuries or whatever else, if he in his 20s can lose the passion and lose the fire for the game, then what chance does an Austin Austin Matthews have?
0: Wow, great point. Um, I have no rebuttal. Um, he has he has rendered me speechless. <laughs> NB, no, excuse me. That's where I want to go. Major League Baseball potential and a very real potential World Series preview is ongoing this weekend in Los Angeles, as the New York Yankees, who came into the weekend with an eighty four and forty six record visiting the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. The Dodgers come in with the best record in baseball at 85 and 45. They play in interleague play this weekend, in again, in Los Angeles. But you have two of the more iconic franchises in Major League Baseball. Yankees have won 27 World Series championships. Unfortunately, the Dodgers have not done as well there. The Dodgers all-time are 5-20, and 20 in World Series. They've been there twenty five times. They've only won five. That's the problem. The Yankees continually kicked the living shit out of the Dodgers back in the fifties when you had those great iconic uh Yankees teams that would seemingly was in the World Series every year in the fifties. And the team they usually beat every year was the Brooklyn Dodgers, led by Jackie Robinson and uh, you know, all those great players, uh, Don Newcomb behind the plate and and uh I mean just unbelievable. But If you don't know anything, if you've been in uh, Greenland for the last number of years, you still are familiar with the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Used to be be in the same five boroughs. Then, of course, as I've mentioned previously, in 58, Horace Stoneham takes the Giants, the New York Giants, out to San Francisco. And I do need to make a a revision here of something that I said, and I just realized this the other day on one of my infamous walks. Um, in 58, when the Dodgers and the Giants moved from New York to the West coast, I had them in wrong stadiums in 58, the Dodgers, Walter O'Malley, they started the construction of Dodger stadium in 58, but they didn't play their first game in Dodger stadium until 62. They played in the Los Angeles Coliseum in one of the worst dimensioned ballparks you will ever see. It was just terrible the way that they, but they had to because they were waiting for their beautiful new ballpark, which is still beautiful today, uh, in in Los Angeles to be built. So in '58, when the Dodgers went to Los Angeles, they first went to the LA Coliseum and played there for four years before Dodger Stadium opened in '62. Same thing for the Giants when they left when they left uh, Flatbush in uh, 1958. They didn't go right to Candlestick Park. They first went to old Seal Stadium in San Francisco before Candlestick Park was built and were constructed and then opened as well in 62. So both of them played in temporary stadiums when they first got out to the West Coast. But you can imagine how fun baseball was then when you had the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Giants, and the New York Yankees all within like about a 10-mile radius of each other. But to see what I'm getting at here is you've got two iconic franchises that don't get together very often. Only One of the good things that Bud Selig did was introduce us to interleague play. So we get to see the Dodgers and the Yankees and teams like this at least every four years. But this weekend, this happens to fall on that stupid uniform thing. And I can't fucking believe in my life that we get a chance for the first time since 2013 i believe i could be wrong on this but it's been at least four or five years since we've seen the dodgers and the and the yankees play together and they've got to play in these garbage looking uniforms you and it's funny because both teams appealed to rob manfred's office saying listen it's the dodgers and the yankees we've won 32 Uh, world series championships between the two of us we're both iconic the games will be sold out allow us to wear our traditional uniforms because all three games were televised the the game tonight is on espn yesterday afternoon was on fox i mean every game has been a sellout every game's been on tv and yet we've got to watch the blacks versus the whites they look terrible Come on, Rob Manfred. This is why baseball is losing. This is why baseball has been losing since 1994. You have an opportunity to see these two iconic teams. You want to see them. You want to see them in the Yankees gray road uniforms. You want to see the iconic Dodger white uniforms in Dodger Stadium when these two teams get to play. And when they come in with records of 40 games above 500, <laughs> Let's think about the betterment of the game of baseball and put, you know, the rules aside for a little bit. There is not another series in all the series of baseball series this weekend that have as much interest and you're trying to drum up interest in baseball and you have the Yankees and the Dodgers and what are people going to talk about on Monday morning? They're going to talk about those those glad handbags that they played their series in this weekend. Baseball screws up again. And you wonder why baseball is about, of the big four, baseball solidly in number four.
1: Well, last Christmas, I got to go to work in my pajamas. So I don't know what these guys are complaining about (laughs) because I loved it. I had a great time. So yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe the backlash online. Everybody was talking about how stupid it looked. Those uniforms were universally panned. I can almost see how this might've seemed like an okay idea on paper, maybe, but I don't know, I think you're right, this was a time they shouldn't have overthought it, they should have just rolled it out and just been fine, and maybe you try and do a slightly older, like, you know, like retro uniforms, maybe, to celebrate the heritage game, but not the opposite, you don't go and just make new ones, so yeah, terrible decision, universally panned, and baseball is just floundering at this point.
0: Before we get out of here on this uh, 383rd episode of Unscripted, we do need to send some congratulations out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She finally did it. Mm. Lindsay Vaughn got her athlete.
1: <laughs>
0: Way to go, Lindsay, with news that came out late last week that PK Subban, now I believe of the New Jersey Devils, and the uh, Alpine downhill skier and former girlfriend of one Eldrick Tiger Woods, P.K. Subban and Lindsey Vaughn are officially engaged. Congratulations to the two of you.
1: Congratulations! Uh, I think it was Lindsey Vaughn. who's—is it Lindsey Vonn? Is someone one of those skiers said that they when they go downhill skiing they always all they do the whole time when they're competing in the Olympics they just hum "We all live in a yellow submarine" to themselves the whole time. <laughs> I can't remember if that's Lindsey Vaughn. and that's what I don't know why that's funny, but uh, it, I don't know. I just got a kick out of that. I got to check if that's Lindsey Vaughn or not. But either way, congratulations.
0: We've got to run on this uh, 383rd episode of Unscripted. We've got to uh, do a little prep work as we get ready to draft hopefully our second consecutive winning fantasy football team. I'm uh, I'm intrigued by it. I've never been a fan of of uh, of fantasy football and it goes back to again old Thunder Thighs Ron Barr. He never wanted David Brody or myself or any of the hosts to take questions because then you're showing preferential treatment. And I never really agreed with it then, and I still don't agree with it now. But obviously, when I was told not to do it 25 years ago, I don't have the same passion as a lot of people do for uh, fantasy football. But I can tell you one thing. I am of a strong belief that fantasy football has changed the way the National Football League game is played. I don't think there's any question about that. It has become more offensive-driven. And that's a good thing because more offense means more excitement and more excitement means fannies in the stands. I get that. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm, I'm forward to, I look forward to meeting Sean and uh, we'll have that all for you in our episode number three 384 that takes place next here on unscripted. Having said all that for the executive producer of unscripted, Mr. Chris fluke, I'm Mike Jansen until next time.